0: Chapter 7B of Native Races and the War by Josephine Elizabeth Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bill Mosley. It was prescribed by the Grand Vet that no new law should be passed by Parliament, the Vauxrod unless notice of it had been given three months in advance and the people had had the opportunity to pronounce upon it this did not suit the president accordingly when desirous of legalizing some new project of his own he adopted the plan of bringing in such project as an addition or amendment to some existing law giving it out as no new law but only a supplementary clause law number one of eighteen ninety seven was manipulated in this manner by this law the judges of the high court were formally deprived of the right to test the validity of any law in its relation to the constitution and they were also compelled to accept as law without question or reservation of any kind any resolution passed at any time and under any circumstances by the Volksrat. This law number one of eighteen ninety seven was passed through all its stages in three days without being subjected in the first instance to the people. But I am especially concerned with what affects the natives. Article one of this section says, quote, A native must not own fixed property. Two. He must not marry by civil or ecclesiastical process. Three, he must not be allowed access to civil courts in any action against a white man. Article 9 of the Grand Vet is not only adhered to but is exaggerated in its application as follows. the people shall not permit any equality of colored persons with white inhabitants neither in the church nor in the state these principles says mr beauville are so ingrained in the mind of an average boer that we can never expect anything to be done by the volksrod for the natives in this respect it appears inconceivable he continues, that a government making any pretense of being a civilized power at the end of the nineteenth century should be so completely ignorant of the most elementary principles of good government for such a large number of its subjects, quote. As to the access by the natives to the courts of law, quote, If you ask a native, he will tell you that access to the law courts is much too easy. But they are the criminal courts of the field cornets and landrosts. He suffers so much from these that he cannot entertain the idea that the higher courts are any better than the ordinary field cornets or landrosts. However, there are times when, with fear and trepidation, he does appeal to a higher court. With what result? If the decision is in favor of the native, the burghers are up in arms, crying out against the injustice of a judgment given in favor of a black against a white man. Burghers sigh and say that a great disaster is about to befall this state when a native can have judgment against a white man. The inequality of the blacks and superiority of the white burghers is largely discussed. Motions are brought forward in the Volksrod to prohibit natives pleading in the higher courts. Such is the usual outcry. Summary justice, parenthesis, question mark, in parenthesis, by Landrost or Field Cornet is all the Boer would allow a native. No appeal should be permitted, for may it not lead to a quashing of the conviction. The Landrost is the friend of the Boer, and he can always square him in a matter against a native. Quote, it was only to prevent an open breach with England these appeals to the higher courts were permitted in a limited degree. End quote. Number two, the native marriage laws Think, says Mr Beauville, quote, what it would mean to our social life in england if we were a conquered nation and the conquerors should say all your laws and customs are abrogated your marriage laws are of no consequence to us you may follow or leave them as you please but we do not undertake to support them and you may live like cattle if you wish we cannot recognize your marriage laws as binding nor yet will we legalize any form of marriage among you such is in effect the present position of the natives in the transvaal i occasionally took my holidays in johannesburg and assisted the vicar during which time i could take charge of christian native marriages of which the state took no cognizance a native may marry and any time after leave his wife but the woman would have no legal claim on him he could marry again as soon as he pleased and he could not be proceeded against either for support of his first wife or for bigamy and so he might go on as long as he wished to marry or could get any one to marry him the same is applicable to all persons of color even if only slightly colored Half castes of three or four generations, if the color is at all apparent. All licenses for the marriage of white people must be applied for personally and signed in the presence of the landrost, who is very cautious lest half castes or persons of color should get one. Color is evidently the only test of unfitness to claim recognition of the marriage contract by the transvaal state. The injustice of such a law must be apparent. It places a premium on vice. It gives an excuse to any person of color to commit the most heinous offenses against the laws of morality and social order, and protects such a one from the legal consequences which would necessarily follow in any other civilized state. End quote footnote it is stated on the authority of the sentinel london june 1900 that mr kruger was asked some years ago to permit the introduction in the johannesburg mining district of the state regulation of vice and that mr kruger stoutly refused to entertain such an idea very much to his credit Yet it seems to me that the refusal to legalize native marriages comes rather near in immorality of principle and tendency to the legalizing of promiscuous intercourse. And footnote. Mr. Beauville has an instructive chapter on the compound system and the condition of native compounds. This is a matter which it is to be hoped will be taken seriously to heart by the chartered company and any other company or group of employers throughout African mining districts. The compound system of huddling hundreds of natives together in tin shanties is the very opposite to the free life to which they are accustomed. If South African mining is to become a settled industry we must have the conditions of the labor market settled and also the conditions of living we cannot expect natives to give up their free open-air style of living and their home life they love their homes and suffer from homesickness as much as or probably more than most white people the reason so many leave their work after six months is that they are constantly longing to see their wives and children Many times have they said to me, It would be all right if only we could have our wives and families with us. End quote. The result of this compound life is the worst possible morally. Quote, we must treat the native not as a machine to work when required under any conditions, but as a raw son of nature. Very often without any moral force to control him and to raise him much above the lower animal world in his passions, except that which native custom has given him. The writer suggests that native reserves or locations should be established on the separate minds or groups of minds where the natives can have their huts built and live more or less under the same conditions as they do in their native kraals if a native found that he could live under similar conditions to those he has been accustomed to he will soon be anxious to save enough money to bring his wife and children there and remain in the labor district for a much longer period than at present is the case it would be a distinct gain to the mining industry as well as to the native, End quote. Mr. Boville goes into much detail on the subject of the pass laws. I should much desire to reproduce his chapter on that subject if it were not too long. That system must be wholly abolished. He says quote, it is at present worse than any conditions under which slavery exists. It is a criminal-making law. Brand a slave, and you have put him to a certain amount of physical pain for once, but penalties under the past law system mean lashes innumerable at the direction of any boer-field cornet or Landrost. It is a most barbarous system, as brutal as it is criminal-making, alone worthy of a boer with an exaggerated fear of And cowardly brutality towards a race he has been taught to despise. Treating of the prohibition imposed on the natives as to the possession in any way or by any means of a piece of land, he writes Many natives are now earning and saving large sums of money year by year at the various labor centers. They return home with every intention of following a peaceful life. Why should they not be encouraged to put their money into land and follow their peaceful pursuits as well as any boer farmer? They are capable of doing it. Besides, if they held fixed property in the state, it would be to their advantage to maintain law and order, when they had everything they possessed at stake. With no interest in the land, the tendency must always be to a nomadic life. They are as thoroughly well capable of becoming true, peaceful, and loyal citizens of the state as are any other race of people. Their instincts and training are all towards law and order. Their lives have been disciplined under native rule, and now that the white man is breaking up that rule, what is he going to give as a substitute? anarchy and lawlessness or good government which tends to peace and prosperity we can only hope for better times and a more humane government for the natives to wipe out the wrong that has been done to both black and white under a bastard civilization which has prevailed in pretoria for the past fifteen years the government which holds down such a large number of its subjects by treating them as cutthroats and outlaws will one day repent bitterly of its sin of misrule. Tyranny has a genius for creeping in everywhere and under any and every form of government. This is being strikingly illustrated in these days under the name of a republic the traditions of a military oligarchy have grown up and stealthily prevailed when a nation has no recorded standard of guiding principles of government it matters not by what name it may be called empire republic oligarchy or democracy It may fall under the blighting influence of the tyranny of a single individual, or a wealthy clique, or a military despot. Too much weight is given, just now, to mere names as applied to governments. The acknowledged principles which underlie the outward forms of government alone are vitally important and by the adherence to or abdication of these principles each nation will be judged the revered name of republic is as capable of being dragged in the mire as that of the title of any other form of government mere names and words have lately had a strange and even a disastrous power of misleading and deceiving not persons only but nations even a whole continent of nations it is needful to beware of being drawn into conclusions leading to action by associations attaching merely to a name or to some crystallized word which may sometimes cover a principle the opposite of which it was originally used to express such names and words are in some cases being as rapidly changed and remodelled as geographical charts are which represent new and rapidly developing or decaying groups of the human race yet names are always to be a large part of mankind more significant than facts and names and appearances in this matter appeal to france and to switzerland and in a measure to the american people in favor of the boers among the concessions made by lord derby in the convention of 1884 none has turned out to be more unfortunate than that of allowing the transvaal state to resume the title of the south african republic in south africa it embodied an impossible ideal to the outside world, it conveyed a false impression. The title has been the reason of widespread error with regard to the real nature of the Transvaal government and of its struggle with this country. If republican independence had been all that Mr. Kruger was striving for, there would have been no war. He adopted the name, but not the spirit, of a republic. The independence, Claimed by him, and urged even now by some of his friends in the British Parliament, is shown by the whole past history of the Transvaal to be an independence and a freedom which involve the enslavement of other men. A friend writes In order to satisfy my own mind, I have been looking in Latin dictionaries for the correct and original meaning of i govern and imperium the word empire has an unpleasant ring from some points of view and to some minds one thinks of roman emperors domitian nero tiberius of the word imperious, and of the french empire under napoleon the first and napoleon the third the latin word means the giving of commands all depends on whether the commands given are good and the giver of them also good and wise the ten commandments are in one sense imperial now i think the word as used in the phrase british empire has in the most modern and best sense quite a different savour or flavour from that of Napoleon's empire, or the Turkish or Mohammedan empires of the past. It has come to mean the dominion of freedom, or the reign of liberty, rather than the giving of despotic or tyrannical or oligarchic commands. In fact, our imperialism is freedom for all races and peoples who choose to accept it whilst boer republicanism is the exact opposite how strangely words change their weight and value and yet there still remains the sense of command in empire and in the past history of our government of cape colony there has been too little wholesome command and obedience and too much opportunism shuffling off of responsibility and self-sufficient ignorance and doctrinaire foolishness taking the place of knowledge and insight, want of courage is I think in short at the bottom of the past mismanagement, End quote. the assertion is repeatedly made that quote, England coveted the gold of the Transvaal and hence went to war. End quote it is necessary it seems again and again to remind those who speak thus that england was not the invader kruger invaded british territory being fully prepared for war england was not in the least prepared for war this last fact is itself a complete answer to those who pretend that she was the aggressor in regard to the assertion that "'England coveted the gold of the Transvaal,' "'what is here meant by England? "'Ours is a representative government. "'Are the entire people, "'with their representatives and parliament and government, "'included in this assertion? "'Or is it meant that certain individuals desiring gold "'went to the Transvaal in search of it?' "'The expression England in this relation,' is vague and misleading. The search for gold is not in itself a legal nor a moral offense, but the inordinate desire and pursuit of wealth, becoming the absorbing motive to the exclusion of all nobler aims, is a moral offense and a source of corruption. Wherever gold is to be found, there is a rush from all sides, among some honest explorers with legitimate aims there are always found, in such a case, a number of unruly spirits, of scheming, dishonest, and careless persons, the scum of the earth, cheats, and vagabonds. The outlanders who crowded to the Ronde were of different nations, French, Belgians, and others, besides the English, who were in a large majority. The presence and eager rush of this multitude of gold-seekers certainly brought into the country elements which clouded the moral atmosphere, and became the occasion of deeds which, so far from being typical of the spirit of England and the English people at large, were the very reverse, and have been condemned by public opinion in our country. But, admitting that unworthy motives and corrupting elements were introduced into the transvaal by the influx of strangers urged there by self-interest it is strange that any should imagine and assert that the corrupting influence of gold or the lust of gold told upon the british alone the disasters brought upon the transvaal seem to be largely attributable to the corrupting effect on President Kruger and his allies in the government of the sudden acquisition of enormous wealth through the development, by other hands than his own, of the hidden riches within his country. What are the facts? In 1885, the revenue of the Transvaal State was a little over 177,000 pounds. This rose, owing to the outlanders' labours and the taxes extracted from them by the Transvaal government, to four million four hundred thousand pounds in eighteen ninety nine thus, they have increased in the proportion of one to twenty-five Quote, if the admirers of the Transvaal government who place no confidence in documents emanating from English sources will take the trouble to open the almanac de gotha they will find there the financial report for eighteen ninety seven there they will read that of these four million four hundred thousand pounds salaries and emoluments amount to nearly one quarter we will call it a million pounds that is forty pounds per head per adult boer it goes without saying that in all this the outlanders have no share if we remember that the great majority of the boers consist of farmers who do not concern themselves at all about the administration and who consequently get no slice of the cake we can judge of the size of the junks which president kruger and the chiefly foreign oligarchy of which he leans take on themselves the president has a salary of seven thousand pounds the president of the swiss confederation has six hundred pounds and besides that what is called coffee money this is his official income but his personal resources do not end there the same table of the almanac de gotha shows a sum of nearly six hundred and sixty thousand pounds entitled other expenses Under this head are included secret funds, which in the budget are stated at a little less than £40,000, more than even England has, but which always exceed that sum, and in 1896 reached about £200,000. Secret Service Funds Vile Name and Viler reality should be unknown in the affairs of small nations. Is not honesty one of the cardinal virtues which we should expect to find amongst small nations, if nowhere else? What can the chief of a small state of 250,000 inhabitants do with such a large amount of secret funds? we can picture to ourselves what the financial administration of the Boers must be in this plethora of money, provided almost entirely by the hated outlander. An example may be cited. The Rod were discussing the budget of 1898, and one of the members called attention to the fact that for several years past, advances to the amount of Two million four hundred thousand pounds had been made to various officials and were unaccounted for. That is a specimen of what the Boer regime has become in this school of opulence. Quote. Monsieur Naville continues quote, We do not consider the Boers as a people to be infected by the corruption which rules the administration the farmers who live far from pretoria have preserved their patriarchal virtues they are upright and honest but at the same time very proud and impatient of every kind of authority they are ignorant and read no books or papers only the old testament but kruger knew he could rouse these people by waving before them the spectre of england and crying in their ears the word independence and this is what disgusts us that under cover of principles so dear to us all independence and national honor these brave men are sent to the battlefield to preserve for a tyrannical and venal oligarchy the right to share amongst themselves and distribute as they please the gold which is levied on the work of foreigners. End, End of chapter 7 Recording by Bill Mosley, Lano County, Texas, U.S.A.